So that's the big idea for today. As we remain in Jesus, we bear healthy fruit. I think it's a hard concept, remain. We don't use that word or that phrase an awful lot, and it sounds kind of passive to me. This is, this is the image that comes to me when I, when I hear remain in Jesus. I think of myself in my living room on the couch. It's very quiet. It's very dark. I'm, I'm remaining in Jesus. I'm remaining, right? And then my wife comes in and says, hey, Adam, what are you doing? Could you take out the trash? And I go, shh. I'm remaining in Jesus. So no chores right now. No chores right now. I think remaining in Jesus means having such a deep and lasting connection with him that we are utterly dependent on him every day. It's the concept of my two-year-old Eliza. Now, she will grab a bag, and she picks it up, and then she pretends like she's going to go on an errand, right? So she says, bye, Daddy, see you later, going to the store. And I was thinking the other day, what's her plan? When she gets out of the door, is she going to go to the car and jump in and turn it on and, and go to the store and bring back a gallon of milk? First of all, that'd be very helpful. But second of all, no, of course not, because she's utterly dependent on us, right? She needs us for everything right now. She needs us to clothe her, to bathe her, to put her to sleep, and then to put her to sleep again, and then to put her to sleep again, <laughs> right? We care for her more fully, more deeply than she can care for herself. And remaining in Jesus is similar. Keep in mind, Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples, and he says, look, you're following me, but you can't live the way that I would want you to live without me. You won't bear fruit without me. I'm what makes you healthy. You have to remain in me. And then he gives some examples of what it means to remain in him. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So how do we remain in Jesus? Well, first, we remain in Jesus by receiving God's pruning. At times, we don't live like we need Jesus, do we? At times, we think or act like we're completely self-sufficient. But he says we must remain in him. And it's because he's prompting us. He's calling us to do things well beyond our comfort and well beyond what we're capable of doing on our own. And pruning forces the issue because often we aren't actually living a life that's dependent on Jesus. It's dependent on other things. It's dependent on ourselves or other people or what people think or control, or fear. It's being ruled by other things, but he's saying, remain in me. This is how he talks about it. This is John 15, one through three. I'm the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Right up top, Jesus says, God is the gardener. He's going to cut off every branch that doesn't produce fruit, and he's going to cut back and prune every branch that does. That's every branch. He's cutting at every single branch. I think that's intense. That's intense imagery. Now, recently, I cut the bushes in my front yard and kind of hacked at them, because I have no idea what I'm doing, hacked at them, and 
it's just collateral damage everywhere, right? It's a massacre. It's, it's kind of intense. Have you ever felt that way? Are you being cut back a little bit or a lot bit? You're going through something particularly difficult and you just didn't understand why and you're asking God? Maybe you haven't even done anything wrong and you just don't understand or maybe you are depending on something else and you've had some of that nasty, rotten fruit come out in your life and you're reaping the consequences. Perhaps you're going through a season of pruning. Pruning is when God cuts the stuff out of our lives that takes our focus off of him. Maybe they're behaviors. Maybe they're feelings that aren't healthy. They don't honor him. Hatred, rage, fear, worry, selfishness, pride. Maybe pruning for you is a circumstance that's beyond your control, but is even a good thing for your family. Maybe it's someone traveling a lot, or maybe it's being deployed in the military and you just don't know what to do with that. Maybe pruning for you is God laying something on your heart that you don't really want to go do, but you know he's prompting you and he's pushing you. Maybe God wants you to respond to a relationship in a different way, or your finances in a different way, or to him in a different way. Pruning is focused on any areas of our lives that doesn't produce healthy fruit. Gardeners trim these branches back so that they produce more fruit. God loves us so fully that if we remain in Jesus, we're utterly dependent on Jesus, we're gonna grow, and for us to grow, pruning is necessary. Here's another way of saying it. I must receive pruning because the deepest and most lasting seasons of growth in my life have been during those times where I'm being pruned. I'm gonna say that again. I must receive pruning because the deepest and most lasting seasons of spiritual growth in my life have been during those times where I'm being pruned. Here's what I mean. Some of the deepest and most vivid times that I've had with God have actually been in front of a deep fryer frying chicken at Kroger. It's true. Several years ago, I wasn't where I wanted to be. Getting here late. I just finished my seminary degree and I was looking for ministry jobs and it just wasn't happening and I didn't understand why, but I thought, you know what? I need to go get a job. So I went to Kroger. They were gracious enough to give me a job. Worked in the deli department at first. Learned a lot of great things there. Met a lot of amazing people there. But can I tell you, I was miserable. And I was miserable because my circumstances didn't match my desires. It took everything inside of me to walk to work. I remember, I remember one day in particular, I, I was going to work. It was 5 a.m. in the morning. The reason why is because it was the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. And turns out, people really, really like to eat fried chicken, watch the Indianapolis 500. I made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of fried chicken that day. And I had a lot of time on my hands. So I was standing there, you know, dipping these lightly floured legs and thighs into the oil. And I was praying. I was talking to God. I was yelling at God. And I was, I was letting them have it. How 
dare you treat me this way? I went to school for this? Are you kidding me? You're wasting my time. I want to serve you. You, how dare you? Has God ever spoken to you kind of when you're praying? Not audibly, but, you know, he's acknowledging what you're saying and you hear him loud and clear. This is what he said. It was very vivid to me. He was already said, I'm at the fryer and he goes, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Remember, no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're working, you're working for me. Not for Kroger, not for yourself, not for anybody else. Ministry is a privilege. It's not a right. And that experience me not doing what I wanted to be doing, helped me understand something. It helped me understand that God had me right where he wanted me, and he was pruning me. He was more concerned with me being who he wanted me to be than doing what I wanted to do, even if it was for him. And pruning gave me the opportunity to rely on ways to depend on God in ways that I wouldn't if I wasn't being pruned. See, pruning is for our benefit. I'd rather not go through it again. I mean, let's be clear. I, don't, I didn't want to go through it at the time, but I can honestly say I'm thankful for it because it helped me deepen my dependence on Jesus. So the second thing, the second thing that Jesus points out First, he's pointing out, hey, you need to receive God's pruning. It's going to happen one way or the other, whether you like it or not. But the second thing he points out, we remain in Jesus by spending time with his words. One way we remain in his words, this makes sense, right, is by reading his words. It's in the Bible. This is how Jesus describes it in John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. I read a study recently, and it was about church-going Americans, which we all are in, in some way because we're here this morning, at least, right? Church-going Americans, and it said 53% of church-going Americans read none or little of their Bible, which is a lot. And it got me, got me thinking about that. And then I read this summary the guy, Scott McConnell, who wrote this study, wrote this in summary. Overall, Americans seem to like the Bible, but don't have much urgency about reading it. And you see, I believe in my core that the Bible is important. I believe that as we interact with God's words through things like the Ridge Reading Challenge, we can be challenged and we can be changed and transformed. And I know one of the best ways of learning about Jesus is by spending time with his words. I mean, I'm on a platform talking to you about spending time with Jesus in his words and hear me, I still don't do a great job at this. I'm embarrassed by that, if I can be honest with you. I'm sometimes one of those 53%. There are days that I struggle. I have to force myself to open up the Bible. And there are times that my heart's not in it. And there are days that I don't open it up at all. But there's a reason that prayer and Bible study comes up all the time in church. We talk about it as a next step 
a lot. We actually talk about it in the office sometimes and say, okay, we're going to say it again? We're going to say it again? Yeah, we're going to say it again because it's that important. And we know that it brings you into this deep and lasting relationship with God if you're being utterly dependent on him. So what we're going to do today, we're just going to take a break and we're going to spend just a few minutes talking about how to take your next step in your quiet time, in your prayer and Bible study life. Maybe you're well on this journey. Hopefully this can remind you or still challenge you. Maybe you've never done this at all. Know that you're not alone. And here are some practical things that we can do together to remain in Jesus' word. So the first thing, find a time and a place. Some people have a chair that they like to read in. Some people do their quiet time first thing in the morning. Find a place with limited distractions. I know that that's hard, but find a place where you can kind of build up the discipline. And maybe for you, you need some ways to focus your prayer life. I do. I have to write out my prayers. I journal a lot. And the reason I do is because it helps me focus. I was talking to somebody this week and they said, I really like kind of walking out in creation and talking to God. That's a really healthy time for me. Whatever works for you, find a time and a place. Number two, find a plan. Many people find it helpful to have like a reading plan or a devotional. That's why we have this thing we call the Ridge Reading Challenge. It's Monday through Friday, one chapter a week. Right now we're going through the New Testament. It's actually a great time to jump in. We're going to start with Hebrews 1 tomorrow. I'd encourage you, if you're not doing this, if you don't have a plan, check that out. It's on our website there at the bottom of the homepage. It's theridge.org. You can check that out. You can also go to the Connections desk. The plan is there. It helps us kind of dig in and focus and know what we're going to be reading and be consistent with it. Maybe you need a prayer plan. Maybe you need to write down, hey, on Monday, I'm going to pray for my life group. I'm going to pray for my marriage. And on Tuesday, I'm going to pray for these friends. I'm going to pray for my country. And on Wednesday, I'm, I'm going to pray for something else. That can be helpful and it can focus your time, focus your thought, focus your prayer. Because we talk a lot about praying. I don't know if we always spend as much time praying as we do as we talk about it. So find a plan. Number three, find accountability. Turns out you don't have to do it all by yourself. Maybe tell a friend, ask a friend, hey, keep me accountable to this. And be honest. That's a key to accountability as well. Give people permission to ask you about your quiet time. If you're doing a plan, maybe tell them, hey, I'm doing this plan, keep me accountable. Or maybe do the plan together. That'd be a great way to build some of the discipline in this. And then finally, find someone to encourage. Maybe you feel like you got this prayer and Bible study thing on luck, right? You're great at it. Find somebody to encourage. Maybe pray for them by name specifically and about their spiritual life, about their time with God, that it will grow, that it would become rich or richer than it is. If you want to get really fancy, spend a day a week with a different name. Monday, Bob, Tuesday, Sue. That can help you focus your quiet time even beyond just yourself. 
Now, these are all just suggestions, and the important thing, really, is to remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus by receiving this pruning that's coming, whether we like it or not, and remain in him and learn about him and grow in relationship with him through his words and through prayer. Now, does this mean that he's like a genie in the bottle? No. That, that I, I wish every time, okay, I, I've been in the Bible and I pray and now give me a million dollars. No, that's not, how, that's not how this works. Really what he's saying is as we remain in him and he remains in us and his words, they change us and we become in utter alignment with his will. And we start praying, we stop praying about the things that don't bring God glory, and we start praying about the things and four things that bring God glory. And that's why he's saying, hey, remain in me, and your prayers will be granted. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. So as, as we're spending time with him, as we're being pruned, how do we know? How can we measure if we're remaining in Jesus. Well, the third thing he points out, we remain in Jesus by paying attention to our fruit production. Kind of makes you feel a little bit like a Chiquita banana plantation. What he's saying is the result of remaining in Jesus is healthy fruit. It's the fruit in our lives. It's these amazing thing called the fruit of the Spirit. This is Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. There's no law against these things because we all know this is healthy fruit. We all want this. And none of us are saying, you know what? I've got plenty of love, joy, peace, and patience in my life. We are all being prompted to grow in these areas. And as we remain in Jesus and God prunes us, and we're relying on Jesus, he's saying this miraculous thing will happen. This fruit shows up in our lives. And this cycle happens. We bear fruit, we're pruned. We depend on Jesus. We bear fruit, we're pruned. And that's kind of the cycle of life as we continue to grow and bear more and more and more fruit. The result of remaining in Jesus is fruit. And people should see the fruit of the Spirit in your life if you're following Jesus, if you're truly remaining in Him. Here's what I mean. Maybe things aren't going well at home. How do you respond with anger, with faithfulness? Maybe you don't really enjoy your job. How do you respond? Grumbling, complaining, or you decide to do it with joy? Every moment, every interaction, every thought is an opportunity to reveal the healthy fruit that naturally comes from a deep and growing relationship with Jesus. Now, let's be clear here. It's not entirely by human effort. Feels like that a little bit, but they call it the fruit of the Spirit for a reason, not the fruit of men and of women. This is how Wayne Jacobson says it. I love this quote. The fruit of the Spirit is not what we can make ourselves do. 
for a moment, but what God makes us to be for a lifetime. Jesus is saying, I'm in you. I will remain in you. And every single time in this section, he says, remain in me. He says some variation of, as I remain in you. Our fruit actually isn't about us. Our fruit is a natural byproduct of Jesus being in us. So how do you know if you're remaining in Jesus? Take a look at your fruit. Do you have unhealthy fruit? I do. So take a moment and you start thinking about, okay, the healthy fruit in my life, this love, joy, peace, patience, if that comes from my relationship with Jesus, where does the other stuff come from? Your dependence on something else. My dependence on something else. And when things are bad, what comes out? Is it faithfulness? Is it love? Is it something else? When things are amazing in your life, what comes out? Is it pride? Is it patience? We can pay attention to our fruit. And if there's unhealthy fruit in our lives, we, we can dig into that and go, why? That's a scary question. But why? Why is this unhealthy fruit in our lives? Because we can claim to follow Jesus we can know the right thing to say, but when the rubber meets the road, we can deny him by the way that we live. So it's important to pay attention to your fruit because our fruit is a natural byproduct of Jesus being in us and us being in him. Here's how he says it. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And if you're like me, maybe you're looking for the box to check or the rule to follow that you want to say, I'm remaining in Jesus, check, see you later. We think we're good enough, and if we do enough good things, that means we're remaining in Jesus. But I don't think that's the whole story. Here's what I mean. I've been married for 11 years, and when you get married, you learn some things about your spouse that you didn't know before. Good things. I don't like how you're judging me. Good things, too. I mean, bad things, too. One of the things that Abby, my wife, didn't know about me, maybe fully, is that I just don't notice mess around the house. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I just don't notice those things. And we have chores. We have kind of assigned chores in our house. And I have to admit that we've fought about chores more than everything else in our marriage combined. And here's why. Because when I take out the trash, that's one of my chores, when I take out the trash, I really want her to know that I'm taking out the trash. You know what I mean? So I, I'm taking out the trash. I'm walking to the door, taking out the trash. Look at me, take out thy trash. 
run out the door, take out the trash. I'm very happy that I'm taking out the trash. I hope you appreciate how much I love you by taking out the trash. Do you love me for taking out your trash? I'm coming back in. I'm putting the bag into the trash can. I don't always do that to remember to put that back. So I'm noticing, hey, I love you because you're loving me because I take out the trash. And it took me much, much, much too long to understand that I don't take out the trash so she'll love me. I take out the trash because I love her. It's not really about me. My motivation has changed. My love has changed. And it compels me to act in a way that I wouldn't normally act. And as we remain in Jesus, as we continue to grow in this loving relationship, it's not because of what we're doing to earn love It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And it's our response to him. He shows us love first, and he showed it ultimately on the cross. And our obedience, our behavior, our fruit, is more about remaining in his love than it is about doing the right thing, at least entirely. Our obedience is a response to his love. And getting this backwards can be dangerous because it sets up this cycle. Hey, I need to earn his love. No, his love is there. Therefore, we can respond to him. And we respond to him by drawing close to him and being utterly dependent on him. And then fruit, this healthy fruit, comes in our life. And our fruit, the results of our lives and these actions, it reveals exactly what we're depending on. So the question really is, what fruit do you have? And does it reflect Jesus? As we remain in Jesus, we bear healthy fruit. 